You're listening to Cloud9, where Bahaiteachings.org interviews artists from around the globe to learn about what inspires, uplifts, and motivates them to make a positive contribution to the world. My name is Shadi Talui Wallace. On October 28, 2019, the world will celebrate the 200th anniversary of the birth of the Bab, who is the founder of the Babi faith and the forerunner and herald of the Baha'i faith. The Bab's mission was to prepare the world for the coming of Baha'u'llah, the founder of the Baha'i faith. On October 28th, the Bab's extraordinary life and legacy will be remembered and commemorated by millions of people all over the world. One artist who is heavily inspired and influenced by the powerful teachings of the Bob is Florida-based artist, writer, and lecturer, Mike Solomon. Raised in a family of notable artists, Mike's own paintings and sculptures have been exhibited in galleries and museums throughout the United States and are included in numerous public and private collections. He has also been a two-time recipient of the Pollock Krasner Foundation grant. In his interview with Cloud9, Mike will reflect on his own life and unique journey to becoming an artist and discovering the Baha'i faith at the age of 15. Together, we will celebrate the auspicious 200th anniversary of the birth of the Bab by reflecting on some of the Bab's unique teachings and how they influenced Mike's creative practice and inform his purpose as an artist. Mike, thanks so much for joining us on Cloud9. Thank you. I love Cloud9 and everything that I've ever seen on it. I'm really honored to be part of it. Thank you. We're really privileged that you accepted this, uh, the invitation to be featured as the artist, but also to commemorate the uh, bicentenary of the birth of the Bob. Now, before diving into the teachings of the Bob and their influence on your own artistic practice, I'd love to learn more about your own creative and spiritual journey. Now, Mike, your introduction to the modern art world was incredibly unique and formative. Your father, Sid Solomon, was a notable abstract expressionist with works in collections at the Whitney, Hirshhorn, and Guggenheim Museum. Your parents also played an integral role in the formation of the Hamptons art community and in establishing the modern art community in Florida. Because of your unique exposure to art as a child, you grew up surrounded by some of the most celebrated artists, musicians, and writers of the post-war period in America. These names included Kurt Vonnegut, Willem de Kooning, Lee Krasner, Betty Friedan, and so many other notable characters of that time. So it's no surprise then that at the age of 15, you decided to pursue art as a profession. It was around that same time when you discovered the Baha'i faith. I'd love to learn about how you first learned about the Baha'i faith and how this discovery and adoption of new belief influenced and informed your creative and professional pursuits early on in your practice. Well, um, I had a friend I surfed with and he was the first person that I knew that knew anything about yoga. And he also, he was, he, I don't know if he was really a Baha'i, but he had a lot of Baha'i books and he, he kind of believed in everything, so that's kind of a Baha'i. <laughs> and uh, so he gave me one of these books one day. I think it was The Hidden Words by Baha'u'llah. And I, and I opened it up and read it, and I went, yep, that's it. <laughs> it was very immediate. And uh, um, I also read um, 
right after that, I read Release the Sun, which is the story about the Bob and the early days of the Bobby movement and faith before Baha'u'llah declared himself. And that, too, was instrumental in making me join. So uh, it was, that's kind of how, how it got started. You know, growing up in the, in the world that I had grown up in, which is completely unusual, um, being surrounded by all these major people in the arts and also in a lifestyle that wasn't a sort of normal one, uh, so to speak, um, that, that my parents lived, very bohemian and everything. It was, I had a lot of permission, you know, to do whatever I wanted to do. It was um, almost the opposite of what most people go through. But having all that freedom uh, is like being kind of in, in a sea, in a boat, adrift without a rudder. You know, I didn't really have, I didn't know what standards to to follow or what, you know, I, didn't, I just didn't have any idea about what to do. And so when um, I read the teachings of Baha'u'llah, um, it gave me a set, uh, you know, it gave me a set of standards by which to sort of proceed as an artist and, a, and as a person. And uh, um, the one of the earliest things that I read was from the Seven Valleys by Baha'u'llah, where he says, it is incumbent upon these servants to cleanse the heart, which is the wellspring of divine treasures of every marking, turn away from imitation, which is the following of the traces of their forefathers, and shut the door of friendship and amity upon all the peoples of the earth. So it was this idea, first of all, you know, not for me not to imitate the art and the and the maybe a lot of the things that I had grown up with, but also to sort of get rid of any kind of uh, to try to get as neutral as possible in terms of looking at things, to, to not have an opinion either way, to not really love things too much or hate things too much. And that was really great guidance for me in uh, my education. Right. So you were able to really apply this teaching of Baha'u'llah, of personal investigation of truth, to finding your voice and uh, developing your own creative powers of expression. Yeah. I mean, in, in some ways, my in, in most ways, my creative life and my spiritual life are sort of one and the same. And... Um, you know, the idea of, of indeed investigating things for myself, um, you know, in, in a sense, when Baha'u'llah talks about the investigation of truth, of course, it's applicable to many different realms. I think, you know, in, in the context in which that's written, it's, it sort of start, starts with the idea of not adopting um, the religion of your parents. Well, in my household, the religion was art, and it was a certain kind of art, you know of abstract expressionism. So in that sense, um, you know, what I did was I moved to California to get, that was about as far away as I could get once I got out of high school um, from my, my parents' world and everything. And there were a whole different sets of artists and, and aesthetics out there. And so it was sort of a way for me to, to start over and start fresh. You know, I learned, um, I learned to sort of suspend judgment on things that I, you know, would first have a, negative reaction to um that was i think that was really the strongest part of my early practice was to um, go to museums go to art shows uh in la and and sometimes in new york city when i was traveling back there and instead of having an opinion um, to to really put the opinions aside and try to learn from the thing try to educate myself about 
what I was looking at. That was a, a practice that I think could be applicable to anybody anywhere. We, we especially in the arts, we somehow think that we can, you know, of course we do have opinions about what we see what we see and hear and read and all that, but to try to first listen to the artist and find out what they're, what they're really about to educate yourself first, it often changes your actual perception of what the work is. And of course, that's applicable to things like religion or religious writings or something. Sometimes to see the context of something is really a very different uh, takeaway. Now, I'd love to use this opportunity to segue our conversation into our reflection and discussion on the Bob's teachings and how they've informed your practice as an artist. Throughout his life, the Bob revealed countless prayers, tablets, and books, which include his Book of Laws, the Bayan, and the Book of Divine Names, which is the longest book he ever wrote. Much of the work of the Bob and his writings prepared the world for the coming of Baha'u'llah. One of the ways he achieved this was to create a new approach to language in order for words to reflect the names and attributes of God, in turn impacting the way we see the world as a manifestation of God's creation. Mike, I'd be curious to learn about how the Bob's perspective on language and names has influenced your perspective on art as a language to relate to the divine and how it impacts your creative powers of expression. Yeah, I uh, I have been so fascinated by the Bob all through my Baha'i life. And in uh, 2011, I think, the Baha'i scholar Nader Sadi published a book called Gate of the Heart, which is sort of a guide to the writings of the Bob, as they are extensive and many are unpublished. Uh, this is kind of a, there, there is a slim volume that we've had for a long time called Selections from the Writings of the Bob, but Nader went into a kind of a, listed all the different writings when they were done and, and went into different parts of them um, in terms of the Bob's attitudes and interpretations. And one of the things that was the most fascinating to me was how the Bob, in his dual mission to both bring a, a fresh revelation to mankind, but also to be the herald to Baha'u'llah, um, his, his purpose, his dual purpose, simultaneous purpose, um, he used a number of, of different methods. And one of them was to um, change rename things um, using spiritual the names of God um, to rename people and things and and all kinds of things uh, he created a calendar which we still use that um, was had names for months and days um, all names of God and so his idea was that all of these things would help mankind spiritualize so that when um, Baha'u'llah announced himself um, that they that they would be more readied that they would be he didn't want anything to impair with his of his believers in ex, in the acceptance of Baha'u'llah. So this the the renaming of things was was part of his program and um, a spiritualization um, of the world through the preparation of names and the coming of the Lord of Names, who is Baha'u'llah him whom God shall make manifest. And I thought that, you know, art 
the, the relation of that to art is art is this is a description of the world. It is you know we give names to things. We we make a painting that describes something. We write a song about something. Um, we make music to describe feelings and stuff like that. All of it is in a sense that same uh, process of naming and describing. Um, things and so in a sense the bob was utilizing um part of the artistic part of man in a way to to get to that and so i realized that there was this incredible artistic emphasis in the revelation of the bob not only in that but in some other things which i'm sure we'll get to yeah absolutely and one of those is the bob's teachings surrounding the concept of intentionality where our actions are performed or motivated for the sake of God. How do such intentions inform your creative practice and approach? When I was, when I was growing up and, and all through my life with my father, he always used to say, painting never lies. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. of course, there was the subjective reading of, of one's painting or other paintings by other people is, is another topic. But he, he felt that intentions kind of showed through that people that maybe had um, intentions that were less deep, somehow the paintings reflected that a little bit. And people that had intentions that were more profound, whatever the style of work, you could, you could kind of sense it. And, uh, and again, that's a subjective thing. But um, that idea of intentionality is so important in, in the beginning of a work and, and carrying it through. Um, you've, you've got to have a real root in what you're doing to be committed to the arts too, because they're very difficult. Um, and, uh, as a, as a Baha'i and, uh, and in terms of following, uh, a spiritual path, you know, the idea of being connected to God is so important. And the Bob I found had, um, enjoined upon his followers to any time that they were going to do something to say these words. Verily, I do this for God, the Lord of the heavens and the earth, the Lord of all that is seen and unseen, the Lord of creation. And I, I try to use say that every time I start work in my studio. I really like, of course, I've heard it a million times, the Lord of creation, but I never really, you know, when I thought about it in terms of art, it was like, oh yeah, God's the one that's the Lord of even my creation. <laughs> He's the Lord of all creation. And so it's like, you know, kind of asking the spirit of, of, the, of God to assist you and to dedicate what you're doing to that. What a beautiful way to start a creative process. Exactly. I don't know, always remember, but most of the time. <laughs> mm. Now, another teaching of the Bob pertains to one's pursuit for perfection, the Bab teaches that striving for perfection is a moral duty. In his holy book, the Bayan, he says that whoever possesseth power over anything must elevate it to its uttermost perfection, that it not be deprived of its own paradise. For example, the paradise of a sheet of paper on which a few excellent lines are inscribed is that it be refined with patterns of gold illumination, adornment, and excellence that are customary for the most exalted parchment scrolls. Then the possessor of that paper 
hath elevated it to its utmost degree of glory. Should he know of a higher degree of refinement and fail to manifest it upon that paper, he would deprive it of its paradise, and he would be held accountable for why hast thou, despite the possession of the means, withheld the effusion of grace and favor. Isn't that incredible? When I read that quote, I mean, I have that pasted all over my house. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's amazing. Now, to me, this quote is literally the embodiment of what it means to be an artist. What's really amazing is that the Bob is also placing the accountability on the artist to see potential in every earthly thing and to bring it to the highest level of refinement, perfection, or as he says, paradise. How do you apply this moral responsibility that we have as artists to your own creative practice? It is totally. I think if every artist reads this book, The Gate of the Heart, they're going to freak out because there's so much in there. And I've only excerpted a few things. But it's really interesting that the the, the emphasis in the Bayan and in some of the Bob's other books, and it does carry over, of course, into the Baha'i Revelation, the idea of what we should do as humans um, is, 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 is really to be artists. Um, and, you know, there are older cultures in which the artist played a significant role in, in culture, not just as entertainers or, or sort of as a sideline, but a major role in the governance. Like, for instance, the Toltec uh, culture, art, art, artists were the leaders. And it's so interesting in this seemingly um, uh, modest description of what the Bob's talking about, about a piece of paper, that really he's really talking about a whole moral order. Because really what, it's, what he's really saying is, you know, as it says in Genesis, um, we human beings have been given dominion over all the things in the earth. And what he's saying is, you've got dominion over everything, and you have to make, you have to give everything its paradise. You have to give every single thing its paradise. Now, in, in that is to be an artist, to take something to try to improve it or make it as beautiful and pos- as, as possible. But it's also applicable to everyone. You know, if a city planner or a, a captain of industry or any, anybody, if we weren't focused on how many dollars we were making and instead we were thinking about perfecting something, taking into account all the aspects of its, of its uh, uh, being, you know, as he says, all the different ways in which it could be perfect. Think of the world that we would live in. So this is, this is actually a very highly uh, uh, instructive and even radical um, thing couched in, in the idea of excellence and perfection because he's talking about that if you don't do it, you're held accountable. And that is, that's very more, this is a very moral thing here he's talking about. And of course, he's he's trying he's again preparing the world for Baha'u'llah, trying to make the world as perfect as possible. And he's talking about preparing, as the Bob is the is the is the beginning of a new, an entirely new age of man, of heaven on earth, of of the age of fulfillment of, as he said, the advent of divine justice, the idea of all of the 
people, all the believers, all the people have to pitch in and make everything perfect. That is how we get to uh, having heaven on earth. It's not something that just happens. It's something that we can make happen. And that's what he's talking about. So it has incredible implications. And to me, in this quote, the Bob is also saying that we all inherently possess these these tools and the capacity to to create paradise and to contribute to a new a new civilization. And I mean, we could also see this as our capacity to understand and interpret the writings of Baha'u'llah and the Bob and applying them to the field of service. Exactly. And, you know, all the people out there in the world that are already doing stuff like that. I mean, you go on Facebook and you see great inventions, people making out of, you know, plastic bottles made of, out of hemp or whatever they're doing. All those people are embracing this. They're, they're being, and they are being embraced by the Baha'i faith in that, in that service that they're providing. So there's this, this is kind of a, you know, a kind of acknowledgement of so many people's effort to make the world better. Hmm, like we're all little inventors seeing the potential in everything. We are. You start with an idea as an artist does, but perhaps it's rather naive and you find out, well, that doesn't work. And, and that's okay. The really interesting thing about being an artist, uh, you know, is, is that it's a small, it's usually a fairly small operation. Even if you're, even compared to a corporation, even a big famous artist is still a small operation. And, and what's good about small is that if things are found to not work, sometimes you can shift because it's not like having a, you know, a, a half a mile long freighter that you're trying to change direction. But some of these big things, like these big companies that, um, I'm not knocking that necessarily, but they're very hard to turn quickly. <laughs> you can't stop a freighter if you have to, you know. And and so it's it's in a sense, I think that we need to look at artists and use them more in terms of the other parts of the culture to to see that they're kind of like, you know, what an artist can do is something unique and could be useful to other entities that can't move quite so fast because we can shift on the fly if we're if we are aware and we and and we do it <laughs> you know yeah absolutely and that kind of speaks to the final teaching of the bob that we're going to reflect on today which is his emphasis on the human heart as the faculty for inspiration and guidance in his writings, he refers to the gate of the heart, which beholds realities of the worlds, visible and unseen. As Baha'is and artists, we recognize these mysterious forces or unseen powers as divine intervention or inspiration. Connecting or communing with these unseen influences is not uncommon for artists and often leads to the greatest works of art. Mike, in your decades of experience as an artist and as a writer and lecturer, I'm sure you've let your heart lead you through countless creative explorations and really depending on divine intervention. Reflecting on your own encounters with divine inspiration, how do you believe that humanity could also benefit by tapping into the faculty of the heart? You know, this is the this is kind of the essence of of the Bob's. Um, teachings in a sense is to um, get us on to understanding how and that that's why that book is called the gate of the heart um, one of the things that the bob says is that that 
um, in the stages of mankind's growth and evolution on the planet, he's gone through these various stages, and, and the intellectual stage is one that that we have gone through and, and uh, you know developed a lot. But the actually the heart stage is the newest stage, and it is more elevated even um, than the mind in that it has capacities. And he's not talking about, of course, the physical heart in our chest. He's talking about this other sort of capacity, um, which I don't entirely understand how to define, <laughs> but um, it's certainly real. And uh, he's talking about that this is the, the stage that we're entering. Um, and what I think, uh, you know, one of the one of the great quotes that, that he, another great quote that I've had printed out everywhere is this one. Um, For the intellect conceives not save limited things. Verily bound by the realm of limitations, men are unable to gaze upon things simultaneously in their manifold aspects. Thus it is perplexing for them to comprehend that lofty station. No one can recognize the truth of the middle way between the two extreme poles, except after attaining unto the gate of the heart and beholding the realities of the worlds, visible and invisible, uh, visible and unseen, sorry. Um, and what he's talking about there is that the mind is, is a very good mapper of things, and it's very linear. Um, but the heart is that this other capacity is one in which can hold all kinds of things simultaneously. It can hold contradictions simultaneously, or if you want to call it opposites. And it doesn't have to make a decision that there's one or the other. The heart doesn't function through a zero and one kind of calculus. It functions as a kind of embracing unity in which both things exist, can coexist, that they are, they kind of create a shape that's different. And it is that capacity which I think we use so often in the making of art when we're trying to work through a problem with a painting or a piece of music or some writing. You know, it's sort of like uh, you kind of put a feeler out there and you, you hit these walls in which you've said something that, that, that you know, you hit a corner, you get stuck in a corner or somewhere where you can't really resolve anything. And then you kind of have to lay back and kind of let it sink in. Oh, that's too narrow. That's too, too narrow, too trite, too limited in what this really is implying here. What's the bigger picture? And that, that usually comes through somehow in ways that we don't really always mentally work out. Um, sometimes things happen uh, in the making of a painting in which through things that you didn't really intend your original tension comes back at you almost unrecognized. Uh, this idea of, of inspiration that is often talked about and, and I think not well understood is, is really that. It's not really that you decide, okay, now I'm going to be inspired. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. But what does happen is that this power, which I think is kind of the essential point and channel for where the love of God and the spirit flows. I think that's, it's, it's that sort of point of, of where uh, things go from the, the outside of God, you know, God and, and the energy of the universe and the spirit into us is this channel of the heart. Um, 
it's later that we then, once those things happen, that we then can sort of intellectually understand it and map it and all the rest of it. But that initial spark is usually in that. And I find that, um, you know, a lot of artists uh, in their experience of, of making art, um, when they get stuck uh, and then something happens that, that's unexpected, that's kind of the most gratifying part. You know, something comes to you from outside to help you solve the problem of the piece. Um, and that's, that's, that is inspiration, definitely. Yeah. I'm just reflecting on artists in like wider society, and I'm sure they've experienced these similar kind of spouts of inspiration or intervention, but struggle to articulate it. And I think it's really wonderful that the Baha'i Writings helps give us a language to describe those experiences and, and really give space to, to that and allowing for that process to kind of unfold organically with the knowledge that it's coming from a higher realm of the creator. Oh yeah. Without that, I mean, I just, I'd be lost. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that it's, it's, it's sort of a, it's not that the arts without uh, these influences are bereft of of value. I think there's an awful lot of value in art because it is a practice that while it can be swayed in many directions, it does have sort of as its essence, uh, uh, it, it encounters a lot of things that are all along the spiritual path. And so there's there's a lot of value in the practice of art, whether, whether or not one has uh, the spiritual or specifically uh, the impetus of, of a faith like the Baha'i faith in which there's so much literature and so many things to learn. Um, that's really the bounty that we have, I think, is that we have so much content. I know, we're so lucky in that we've been giving these writings to help us articulate our experiences. But, yeah, and it's, you know, it's really an incredible thing. But the, that heart part has is, is really been kind of where I, I've learned to go to because I started out being relatively intellectual and theor theoretical um, mm -hmm. in my in my approach to things and i have and th there's nothing wrong with that but as i've matured i found that there was something that was greater and and that's that that's the difference i suppose so reflecting on the bicentenary the 200th anniversary of the bob's birth how will you be celebrating and commemorating this very auspicious occasion well uh i know that there are a lot of uh ceremonies that are planned locally where I live that I'll go to. Um, and I, I hope to talk a little bit. I, I do have some lectures lined up as well that are not, uh, that are out in the world, so to speak, not just to Baha'i communities. And um, in some of the lectures, I've been able to occasionally bring up some of these ideas and um, speak the name of, of their source. And so in that way, I I try to, uh, you know, uh, bring what the Baha'i faith is or what these, what these thoughts are to people that don't know about them. Um, and I'm lucky in, in the arts because there are several very, very important, prominent artists who were Baha'is, like Mark Toby, for instance. Um, this summer I'll be giving a lecture at the Pollock Krasner House and Study Center on uh, several artists. Toby will be one. And so I'll be able to talk a little bit about where his ideas came from. So I, I think that's, uh, that's part of how I will do it. <laughs> 
Wonderful. And do you have any exhibitions coming up that some of our listeners could hopefully attend? I don't have anything like right now on the, on the, I've just finished about four, five exhibitions. I mean, there's some of the, some of the pieces, I have a few pieces in some museums that they're up. They're not like my show, but they're in larger group shows, but I don't have anything specifically planned yet. Now I'm sort of back into the studio and kind of in the creative mode. And that's the part that I like the best. The, the exhibitions are wonderful and the reactions, whatever they are, are wonderful. But for me, the, the best part is is being in the studio. So I suppose to answer your question, I hope I'm on October 28th and around and in this sacred year, I hope I just make some good work that, that honors mm. the faith and the, and the influence of it. Absolutely. And I'm sure that this very sacred and auspicious year will also endow you with countless opportunities for divine inspiration. I hope so. <laughs> You never know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, we can't thank you enough for your time today and joining us on Cloud9. Uh, before we close, are there any final remarks that you would like to share? Well, thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciate being on it. And again, I I want to encourage everyone to go out and get Gate of the Heart by Nader Sadi. Just to go on just to, for another second or two. He, I've been told, is one of the few people, maybe the only person alive that's read everything that the Bob wrote that we have. I mean, I imagine Shoghi Effendi must have done that too. But um, but uh, apparently Nader uh, is, is the other person that did it. And so uh, that's pretty incredible in and of itself, if, if it's accurate at all. Um, but, but the book itself is just a wonderful thing. And yeah. uh, I think more people should be aware of it. Yeah, definitely. And we'll try and include some relevant links on the write-up associated with this podcast episode. Mike, it's been such a thrill to deepen on these teachings and writings of the Bob with you and to reflect on how they've influenced your life as an artist and as a Baha'i. Again, thank you so much. It's really an honor to be here. And and it's it's provided with me with an awareness of other artists that are working in the world. So you're doing an incredible service. Thank you so much. We look forward to following your work and also the celebrations that will be taking place around the world, commemorating the bicentenary of the birth of the Bob. For those listening in, if you're curious to be part of these celebrations this coming October, please connect with your local Baha'i community. Thanks so much for listening to Cloud9. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to check out Baha'iTeachings.org, where you can find more Baha'i-inspired podcasts, videos, and articles.